Uh, welcome to She Talk Sports with the Dovers, the podcast bringing you the best stories, insights and conversations around women in sport, featuring players, officials, administrators and more. Today's sponsor is Care Australia, who have just launched their Christmas campaign. You can find out full information through the link in the description below. I'm Jackie. And I'm Cassie. And today we're joined by multi-award winning sports journalist Megan Hustwaite. Um, Thank you for joining us today. How are you going? Hello, ladies. Um, I'm very well, thank you, and excited to be on your new podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And um, thanks for coming. <laughs> right back at you. Yes, thank you for jumping on. Now, before we jump into a bit of your background, we thought we would uh, start off the podcast segment today with a bit of a bun rating since we are all wearing a bun. Um, it seems appropriate, but Megan, the, the guest, I guess you can start off with your own rankings, one to three. One is in best. Yes. Um, so I'm going to, I'm rating, yeah, the three of us. So I'm three. <laughs> <laughs> Cass is two and Jack is one. Yes. Referees don't. Front on volume. We're not sure about the overall view of that bun um it could be a zoom illusion but <laughs> front on it pretty it must be we'll take it i'll take my wins when i can get them <laughs> i just one one question before we start megan how much did jack transfer you to say that she's number one <laughs> well it might take a while for the transfer to come through because it's an international transfer now so right. i hope you weren't just asking my bank details because you're passing it on to a Nigerian prince or something <laughs> if that's the case we'll do a reversal the other way and I'll get us some money <laughs> all right now Megan you are a super energetic and bubbly face that many of us in the basketball community have come to recognize quite well however for our listeners who haven't had, been as fortunate enough to talk to you listen to you or read your content just yet I wanted to give a bit of a brief outline of some of the work you do and the sports you cover so Megan is the host of the WNBL show and SBS's Courtside One-on-One. She's a courtside reporter for the WNBL for over a decade, an ambassador for Giants Netball, has covered many stories and has hosted numerous events across basketball, the AFLW, AFL, netball and cricket, just to name a few. Now, that's a very brief and short list of your work so far, and we know you're in the middle of the current WNBL season. Can you tell us a bit about what you're up to during this busy time of the year? Well, thank you for um, those kind words and thorough research, Jack. That was um, that was very nice to do. <laughs> um, I am in um, in WNBL season at the moment. Sounds like I'm an athlete, but um, yeah, in season at the moment. So um, we're coming into sort of the Christmas New Year period, but there's still games throughout, which I think is great. Not sure if the players agree, but um, so I'm doing something every second week. Um, this season which is a bit of a change for me um, but the great part of that is that I've, I'm based in Melbourne but I've had a lot of interstate trips which I really like because you get to just sort of parachute into a club and community and crowd for a night um, and sort of get the essence of what's happening within that WNBL community and catch up with lots of people immersed in that so um, I think probably in the 
in recent years, the games that I've done have been sort of out of Melbourne. So I'm really, um, yeah, cherishing being able to go interstate. Um, and then, yeah, WNBL show as well, which is keeping me busy. And then I'm just about to start my um, BBL cricket commitments, which is corporate hospitality hosting um, tomorrow. So, yeah, I love I love summer and I love, um, I guess, the summer season sports that I'm involved with. That's awesome. You definitely sound like the athlete flying in, flying out, going to different towns. Yes. <laughs> For the rest. The rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, Megan. You, um, what's your favourite place you've been to so far? Um, I'm going to say this season it's been Townsville. So um, Jack was obviously up there for a long time, like we all were um, during the WNBL hub, which was two years ago, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, I love going to all the um, the clubs. But, yeah, I'd say Townsville, um, you can't beat the crowd and the cowbells. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> crowd in Townsville always, always yeah. does the best, don't you? Yeah, so yeah. the grand finals up there with the cowbells in the smaller stadium we now moved into the bigger one but when I was ops manager there and we were in that smaller stadium that was deafening for the ears but it was such an exciting environment that's definitely as a referee just as a spectator that's definitely one of my favorite venues to be at yeah I, I just think the uh, there's great sort of atmosphere at all the clubs like I'm going to Canberra this week I really love Canberra too and I think their fans are so loyal and um, so energetic, no matter where they are on the ladder. But yeah, Townsville, there's something about the bill. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so what's great when we listen to you is how like passionate and energetic you are and everything. Um, and you're great to listen to. How did you get into the field? And um, like, how's that journey been with getting getting in and obviously you're in multiple sports. So could you just elaborate on that for us? Sure. Um, I, I guess from the age of eight, I wanted to be a sports journalist and um, I just never wavered from that. I know my parents sort of weren't, I, I don't know if they believed me or believed that I was going to do it, but um, I'm from Ballarat in regional Victoria and um, there are a couple of Opals that were from there too when I was growing up. So although I didn't want to be an athlete, they were inspiring for me because they were representing their country and playing in Olympics and World Cups and it didn't matter that they were from a regional town so um, that kind of gave me some good confidence that if I had a goal and I had passion and was prepared to work hard I could do it so um, I worked for the local newspaper while I was at school which was a really good experience and kind of showed me that I didn't want to go to uni um, and I started applying for cadetships, which kind of like apprenticeships in the media. Um, they're not as common these days, but um, that's what I wanted. I just wanted to jump straight in. I didn't want to do the theory stuff, um, having had a taste. So applied for a lot of those during year 12, but didn't get them because I hadn't finished school. But I was still <laughs> shattered that I kept getting rejection letters. And then I finally got one um, up in Horsham uh, in country Victoria. Um, and I was meant to start in, in, I think, February the following year because um, I hadn't finished school and I was 17. And then I got a phone call a few weeks after getting the job to say that they needed me to start the following week, um, but I hadn't finished exams. So finished exams, um, 
they found me somewhere to board and yeah, finished my final exam the Friday, moved on the Monday and started full-time work when I was 17. So I'm 35 now. Um, feels like I've been doing it for a lifetime. Um, yeah, so had had a couple of great years in the country where um, it's, you know, we had big newspapers, um, not a heap of staff. It's, it's a great um, training ground, but quite a lot, you know, as a teenager as well. But I think that's where I probably got my work ethic from. Um, and then I got a job in Melbourne um, at the community newspapers and spent 10 years there and then got into radio um, for sort of the same time. And, and then I've been doing my own thing for the last five years. So I call myself now an unrestricted free agent. Awesome. Just like an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> I really got to stop the comparison. Oh, it's great. <laughs> did you, like, um, did, so did the, the radio get you into the sporting realm or did, were you already in there? Yeah, already sport. Um, when I moved to the country paper when I was a teenager, I had to do a bit of like, um, you know, missing missing dog stories, volunteer column, um, all that sort of stuff um, before I got into sport. So, yeah, I did sort of two years of sport in Horsham, um, covering everything, um, like local footy, really strong basketball region up there, Um so like Mitch Creek was an under 12 player rep when I was there. There was lots of um, athletes at college, um, which was great. So a really strong basketball um, breeding ground up there. And yeah, everything from cricket, tennis, lawn bowls. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was definitely a good, a good learning ground. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's uh, some names there to uh, to have gone through their journey with them as well with your your background. It's pretty cool at eight Children. years old. Sorry. It's so, it, no, you're right. It's cool at eight years old that you knew what you wanted to do and that's what you've been able to do. Yeah. Did you ever, I did you ever play a sport? Uh, yeah, like I played a bit of everything as a kid, I think, you know, being from – I think anyone from sort of regional or country areas, you sort of probably play a bit of everything and um, probably it's just a way of life. Whereas I feel that in city areas you might play, but it seems to be a bit more competitive, a bit more structured. But I think, yeah, growing up in regional, you just have a shot at everything. Like I remember playing school cricket. I, you know, I was no good, but, you know, when played long, like, representing the school and stuff I'd have a crack at anything so um but always love sport like you know reading newspapers watching as much sport as I could listening on the radio it was um and going and watching whatever I could you know with sport in Ballarat what sport might come to town um yeah I was always keen to soak anything up which hasn't changed yeah awesome <laughs> I guess uh, across your journey so far, um, and I, like being regional has its challenges uh, as, it, as it is anyway versus being in the city, but what would you say would be like your main challenges that you faced coming up through your career up until this point so far? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I guess um, when I did work um, in country Victoria when I was a teenager, it certainly had its challenges because um, the newspaper was, 
you know, steeped in history. It was a hundred and something years old, but there'd never sort of been a full-time female sports reporter. And add to that that I was a teenager. Um, and footy, you know, going in covering footy, which is very um, territorial, was challenging. I felt like I was welcomed more by other sports like basketball um, and cricket. But covering footy, um, it was always very personal. If you reported on um, a player being suspended or a player involved in a police matter, it was always very pointed. Um, the feedback, I'll say, um, back at me. And that was a lot um, to cop as a teenager. Um, I remember tipping a, a team in a grand final and um, just in a match preview tipping a winner. And, um, and then after the grand final the next day, being abused um, by fans of the team that I didn't pick, like being really abused. And I think I was 19. Um, and you're very accessible. So being, you know, in a country town, I would, people would see me in the supermarket. People could come up to me at a game and abuse me. So um, that was a lot as a female doing that job for the first time, but also as a teenager that, you know, I wasn't, I was doing this for the first time. I didn't really even know who I was apart from what I wanted to do. So I was lucky though that I had a great male editor and a great senior reporter, also a male who supported me, stuck up for me, championed me, encouraged me. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I don't think I would have given it away, but it could have been a really contrasting experience if I didn't have that support from men um, that I worked with because, um, you know, I, I left there in 2007. I've never been back. Like I don't have contact with many people from my three-year stint there. So um, I also, you know, as challenging as that was, I also did have a great example of men who championed me and the work I did. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a big thing, being a teenager, being, I mean, you're not even at home, you've moved away as well for that too. So it's all new environment and surroundings and to have that in your workplace is uh, not, it was far from ideal <laughs> um, that anyone would want in their workplace. So, well, we're glad you stuck through it and that you had that support there from those guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I even knew how to like cook for myself because like literally just out of home you know, moved two hours away. I didn't know how to do anything like that. But professionally, I, yeah, seemed to have my shit together more <laughs> being able to write articles than I did knowing how to look after myself at home. <laughs> Are you the master at two-minute noodles then? Yeah. <laughs> I can't actually remember what I used to eat. But, um, yeah, I've come a long way in that in <laughs> off, off, off field, off court, off, off the sporting ground. <laughs> Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> um, could you tell us the differences uh, in the women's sporting space from a media standpoint, you know, when you started and, and versus now? Obviously, you just spoke about some male influences and, um, and supporters of you, but what are some differences, um, you know, women in sports changed a lot um, now, obviously still got room for improvement. So what, what would you say the big differences are at the moment? I, I do feel equipped to answer this question when I get asked because having worked purely as a sports journalist for 18 years, I can identify what has changed and what has improved. So, um, of course, as you said, we've got 
so far to go, but we have made huge, huge strides. I remember when I was starting out, um, women's sports and competitions and leagues and achievements were pretty much a mention compared to the coverage of men's sport. And then moving into community media in Melbourne, there was definitely a lot more emphasis on certain elements of women's sport. So that's where I began covering the WNBL sort of 15 years ago. Um, in some ways, I think because there were so many, you know, the, the publication I worked for, there were like 32 papers across Melbourne. So I think in some ways we needed to cover women's sport more than it needed our coverage. Um, but I, I then fast forward to now where I work for myself and I do work on women's sport 12 months of the year. And I couldn't have imagined that um, even five years ago, 10 years ago, that I can actually dedicate my time and my passion and my craft to women's sport all year round and make a living off it too. So I think um, there's been huge improvements. And sometimes, of course, we get impatient and frustrated because of things that will happen and things that haven't happened yet that we we believe should. But I think it's also important to reflect on how far we have come because um, that has been extraordinary, sort of particularly over the last decade. When you, when you touched on your, um, you know, being able to make a living from it, could you say the same thing that five years ago that you'd said, like if you I were just to do women's sports? I don't think so because yeah. when when I um, I took a voluntary redundancy um, and just wanted to do my own thing and I, I, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do and that was a mix of work but it's definitely evolved, I'd say, even over the last three years that um, it is majority women's sport. I still do um, work across the men's um, sporting arena but... Um, for instance, women's basketball, I work on 12 months of the year. So I think, yeah, you're right. Like even just within the five years, um, that's changed without me even sort of realising at times too. Yeah, that's so good. Imagine what it'll be in five more years' time. <laughs> right? Like that. And that's what I think is exciting. And I'm not saying, you know, I wouldn't say I'm like a glass half full person or anything like that, but I think it is important to sort of pause sometimes and reflect because we do, our nature can be to just be frustrated with, you know, where we're at and what we're not getting. Um, and sometimes you do really just need to take stock and um, appreciate the strides that have been taken. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the influence too that you guys are having on the women, the game that we have like between AFLW, basketball and that type of stuff like recently, I followed a couple of your stories pretty closely with uh, two recent pieces that, of people that I know. So Kate Gaze, who played for us in the Townsville Fire when I was working there. And then Taylor Harris uh, is like a friend of a friend, had some stuff to do with her in footy when I attempted to play that. Similar to you, tried out a few different sports. Um, but they, like, they're both amazing female athletes from different sporting codes. How, how did you find the coverage that you had on those stories to that had that like positive impact on, on their careers and their story and you being able to be a part of that storytelling piece for them. Yeah, um, I guess ultimately whatever I do, I consider it to be storytelling and that's what I love most. And, um, you know, I guess when you look at 
say, doing sideline for WNBL, I'm not doing it because I'm a former player and I'm not a play-by-play commentator, but um, I can storytell from the sideline. Um, and I think that's sort of what I bring. Um, I've been really lucky to sort of, um, yeah, strike up this working relationship with ESPN. Um, I had some um, things in place where I wrote WNBL the last few years and then quite suddenly they weren't going to be happening this season and because ESPN is broadcasting a game a week um, of WNBL, which I do every second game, um, I just got in touch with them and said, hey, like, would you be interested in some WNBL stories? Because I've got a lot of them. (laughs) Um, And it's been fantastic because I, uh, look, I don't really know the people I'm working and dealing with there very well, but I've just been pitching and um, they've given me the green light for, for everything. Um, the Kate Gay story um, really just happened because I knew that she suddenly wasn't playing and then I was so impressed with the job she was doing on sideline on the stream games and I just tweeted something about about that and um, and we had a little bit of a chat and I thought, you know, maybe there's a story here. Like I'd, I would be interested. That's kind of how I gauge things. If I'd be interested to know the backstory, I hope that an audience would be. So we just sort of had a chat. Um, it was like on a Tuesday night. She was driving home from work. Um, she's yeah living like an hour out of Townsville. And I wrote it up that night and um, it was published on the Wednesday. And she was just so overwhelmed. Like she's still getting messages about it. And I was yeah. really wrapped with the reaction because it shows that there's a market for those stories. Um, and I think it's important to tell the stories that are not just the top line, the opals, the stars, the big names. Um, I think even, for instance, the WNBL can do better in um, the way it represents its own. You know, there's many, many great servants of this league that have played for nothing, haven't earned much, don't earn much now, um, haven't played for the opals and never will, um, but are great WNBL players and people. And those stories should be equally told as, you know, the household names. So um, if I can keep telling those stories and, you know, ESPN or whoever can keep providing that platform and want to share them, um, yeah, I hope that continues. Yeah, definitely. I think Gazy's a really good example of someone like Townsville's a very community-based area and she has been such a, an important female positive role model in that community for so long. So now to see her suiting back up for the, for the fire mm-hmm. is awesome. But just to have her back in the game, like she is still in her prime. She's still able to go out there and really um, serve a team, have an impact on the game um, that I think your story and the coverage and, and the, the response to it is nothing short of what Gazy deserved and, and what your story deserved as well. So it was really exciting to, uh, to see the outcome of that as well. And I remember messaging you about it and just being like, this is awesome. She's back in the league. That's what we want. We want Gazy out on the court. So that's really cool. I know it's so amazing and like Townsville played her first game back on um, the team was last week in Melbourne or yeah 10 days ago in Melbourne and I was doing that game and it was so funny because the the game that I'd done beforehand was in Townsville and I'd interviewed her on air it was the day the story came out she sat next to me on sideline and then fast forward three weeks and I'm sitting behind the Townsville bench and she's on the bench and you just think, wow, like, yeah, I'm just so happy for her, you know, especially after talking so vulnerably about what she's experienced and the emotions to, um, you know, be back where she should be. Um, yeah, it was a great outcome. Yeah, definitely. You, 
do you think that that um, impacted her ability to get back on court, having that story? Well, it's funny. Oh. A coach from um, a coach texted me when when she got signed by Townsville and said, "I hope you're getting a cut of that coach." Yes. <laughs> well, um, but but the reason I asked that is because. You know, like in in your role, you know, we can look at all oh, media coverage, but by you doing that, you've you know you have given her the ability to get back to where she wants to be and and help her um, be able to play again. You know what I mean? Like I think it was a combination of obviously her abilities, <laughs> but you telling the story and and um yeah, and they've picked her up, and I think it's amazing that that's impacted her being able to keep on her basketball journey playing. Yeah, thank you. That's really nice. I hope, um, look, obviously it was circumstantial with injuries at Townsville. She's played there, you know, obviously in two other stints and then she's been coached by Shannon Seabon before. So, yeah, I think it was definitely circumstantial, but maybe just the her being able to tell her story, um, you know, because it's not something you... you um, she I mean she actually said like she hadn't spoken about it like to her partner family friends you know when she told me that was kind of the first time she'd vocalized it so yeah I guess it's not something you just tell someone over the phone you know a prospective coach or someone over a coffee so yeah hopefully maybe just being able to tell and share her emotions um, and her desire that she still wanted to play maybe that opened up a door you know if it if it did and began a conversation, well, then that's awesome. Amazing. Um, so we'll just talk about some role models for you. Uh, we'll start with female role models. Did you have um, anyone in your life that you kind of looked up to, whether it was, you know, in journalism or whether it was um, in your sporting, <laughs> um, you know, playing when you were younger? Anyone that uh, was a role model for you and, and what impact did they have? Yeah, probably um, Caroline Wilson, who's a veteran um, sports journalist um, in Melbourne, predominantly covering Australian rules football. Um, when I was growing up, she was really the only female I saw, read and heard um, probably covering sport, but especially football. She was a trailblazer and um and ended up being the the football um chief football report, reporter at the age and um yeah she she certainly just showed visibility to me um and as you know someone that I've looked up to in my life in my career um she uh she even sort of stood up for me once um she has a uh, had a segment on a football show that she was on um called Carrie's Arrow where she would sort of um have a crack at someone I guess that that deserved it and I'd had an incident on the sports radio station I was working for in I think 2015 I was doing a a cross late at night from the AFL tribunal and um and the host um said some inappropriate stuff when I was talking about evidence that had been um, given at the tribunal case. And um, and I thought at the time it was inappropriate, um, but I didn't hear anything else of it. And Caro actually did it in her segment the following Monday, um, played the audio, called the um, radio host out 
and um, yeah, it was really um, powerful to have her stand up for me, you know, on national TV. Um, I, no one at the radio station contacted me or asked if I was okay or just had a chat with me about it. So for her to do that, um, you know, that meant a lot to me. And then um, Kelly Underwood, who was the first woman to call AFL football on television, um, back when I worked in the country as a teenager, I was really looking for that female role model, like, but more to have a connection with them. Um, it's it's one thing to respect and admire and learn from people, you know, in the public eye, I guess, but to actually have someone to ask them questions to. So at that time, it was probably 2006 and there were a few females working in footy um, and I emailed probably five of them um, just explaining, you know, who I was and I was working in the country and having a bit of a tough time and I was just after someone to ask some questions to to get to get some advice from and out of the five I emailed um, Kelly Underwood was the only person that replied to me um, and she said look you know if you're in Melbourne sometime let me know come and have a coffee at Channel 10 where she was working and um, and I did and she was great and um, and then we've sort of um, uh, yeah, still come across each other on the journey, you know, since I've been in Melbourne. Um, I'll occasionally send her a text um, and, you know, always have a chat to her if I see her. But um, the fact that she, you know, she didn't know me anything, um, to reply to my email and be so kind in offering to meet up with me um, was huge. And I probably appreciate it more now. It's certainly something I've never forgotten. So if I if I'm asked of things like that these days, I always think of Callie um, and, and hopefully I can, you know, help or give some advice or just give my time. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that that support and, like you said, making that connection outside of it, like, it's really great, the, especially the exposure at the moment with women's sports on TV and with their, their shows, there's um, the podcast and everything going on social media too, but to have that one-on-one connection, even if it is for 10, 15 minutes is always beneficial. So that's really cool to hear. And I'm really glad that you, that you had those positive uh, female role models when you were coming through. Um, I, you covered on it earlier around some of the guys that you worked with um, when you were out regional for that first stint in that three-year period. Um, and how they had a really positive male influence on your career and supporting you across your journey of all this time so far. Is there, is there any other guys? Is, how do you find that influence from the from the male dominated industry that can also really empower you and empower other females within the journalism space? Yeah, I try to um, draw on the ones that have been influential on me because I've, I've also had experiences when I was a bit older um, of bullying um, from men at a newspaper I worked at and and it was a really horrible experience but I try to um, not give that um, my energy and, and airtime and focus on the men that have been um, great to me so I guess going back even when I was working for the newspaper when I was at school um, in Ballarat, um, one of the Herald Sun journos, John Anderson, was up in Ballarat because Carlton Footy Club were doing like a um, pre-season camp. And so I had time off school to, to go and cover it, which was 
super cool and um I recognized him it was like seeing a rock star like I know him he's from the Herald Sun and um and he came up and chatted to me and sort of was like who are you and what are you doing here because I was just a school kid you know at a press conference and um he was terrific and invited me to um sort of shadow him for the rest of the week and uh, I did that and then I used to go down to Melbourne and um and join him for a day and just shadow him at the Herald Sun um and yeah he's he's been there the whole the whole journey like again someone I know I can call or email um would read you know a story for me if I needed someone to have a look at it advice um and you know even now like he was putting together a sort of top 100 of athletes Australian athletes this year and um he texted me a few weeks ago asking you know at my thoughts for female basketballs so that was kind of cool um in itself but yeah there's definitely been men along the way even now that um that see me um for you know who I am what I bring my skill set and um yeah just champion you and support you and um it's really important because you know there are still men that you know whether it's involved at club level or you know in a media sense that um you know I think they treat you in a way that they wouldn't treat men and I just don't have time for it like I I don't react well to it um and uh so I really do draw on the men that do support and empower you and push for you um yeah especially in contrast to the ones that you know want to give you a headache Mm. (laughs) yeah it's unfortunate that's still around isn't it with the way that um you know females in any industry let alone sport you know is is, uh, there being more successful more exposure for women in sports so it's great that there's you know males out there and I know there's some in my life Jack's life and you know and that that's what they want they want everyone to be successful it doesn't matter who you are where you come from what gender so that's great yeah um so with all your successes so far in the relationships and networks you've built um what would be the key element for you and how do you continue to challenge yourself in what you're doing yeah I think the relationships is probably the biggest for me particularly in basketball where um yeah as I said earlier it's not like I'm a former player where um I sort of have those existing connections and and stuff like that so you know going back to the start when I covered WNBL um I just covered the Bullying Boomers and Cheryl Chambers was coach and um, she'd just had a baby and um, and her daughter's now 16. So that sort of represents that timeline. But um, so she's someone that I've seen, you know, the ups and downs of her career um, throughout that time. And yeah, I really, um, I do put a lot into my relationships um, and my contacts and um you know establishing them but also maintaining them and and trying to nourish those relationships and I guess as a byproduct like I do have a lot of friends um you know I guess in the WNBL space that are players former players coaches administrators um refs um so that byproduct like you know it's it's a bonus you don't come in hoping to make everlasting friendships but um yeah so that that's been nice um and I guess it's just providing that safe space like you know we we talked about Kate Gaze that people can 
open up to you. Um, and, you know, that can look like a post-game interview with someone who hasn't done a lot of media um, and then right after playing a game and they're um, dripping with sweat or on national TV answering questions. So I guess creating a safe space for them, for someone like Kate Gaze, um, for someone like Alex Bunton, who um, shared her experience with domestic violence with me earlier in the year. And then, um, and then I guess the GOAT, Lauren Jackson, your inaugural guest, um, I've had a lot to do with with her um, over the years from, you know, I did the first story with her after she had her first child and then covering her comeback um, this year. And um, she interviewed me for her um, podcast recently and just sort of said like she, um, yeah, wouldn't have felt comfortable sort of doing that with anyone else. So that's for someone like her, not just because she's the GOAT, but, you know, she's been around the block. So she's seen and dealt with a lot of, journos and media people so yeah when um people are happy with the work you've done you know whether it's they enjoyed an interview they're happy with the story or they just um felt like they could open up and you know felt like they were in a comfortable space I guess that's the greatest compliment for me yeah I think it's a big on that kind of comfortability feeling and knowing that like uh, the questions coming aren't going to be like firing line or anything like that. They're ones that you can actually answer. You can have that guidance. And then I think your natural ability to then have your questions from, from what I've experienced is having your questions there and then actually adding on or adjusting on the fly as well to make it suit the environment, to make everyone comfortable and, and that type of thing is really cool. So it's a, you can, uh, you can tell you really put a lot of work into your craft and um, yeah, we were just kind of interested in how you, you challenge yourself and you keep those relationships going. So it's really cool to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it's listening too. like as much as my job is writing, talking, it, it is, you know, listening. And like you said, um, I think people can go, you know, journalists can go into interviews with prepared questions and they're so worried about what they're going to ask next that they're not listening to the answers that might take you on a different path. So, um, yeah, I always have a few things in my mind, but um, things can go haywire um, and yeah. <laughs> always prepared for that. But, um, yeah, I think listening is probably a big part of it, um, yeah, as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, this one's more for our future journalists and sports reporters coming through or people that might have an interest in the field and want to jump into it. What would be your main advice to be successful in your profession? I think passion um, is a huge thing because during the times where you, you might not be getting um, the stories that you're chasing, you know, you might have setbacks and disappointments um, you might be having conflict, you might be being bullied, you might be a freelancer and not getting work. I think passion is the thing that sustains you. Like I know that even when I have had challenging times, um, yeah, whether it's been bullying, whether it's been um, COVID and, and not being able to work because I was in Melbourne and I was surviving off Centrelink, um, just having the passion um, that yeah fills your cup I think is you know it's the reason you do it just cherishing that like and looking after that passion because it's what will sustain through the good and the bad times um and then I think we're in such a wonderful time with 
and I'm looking at the positives of social media. I know there's a lot of negatives, but um, everyone is a publisher. So everyone's a content creator with all the social media channels that we have and then things like blogs and websites and podcasts. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was just the traditional media of, you know, a newspaper, radio, TV, um, and that's how I sort of cracked in. But these days anyone can publish content. So, um, yeah, I would encourage any young person that had an interest in journalism or sports media to um, use the blank canvas that you've got um and paint it however you like you know if you've got a sport or a um, passion you know a field that you're interested in um write about it um create digital content about it start a podcast or a vodcast um there's so many ways that you can um build a portfolio now and and that's um that body of work will help you get paid work and opportunities so I think it's an exciting time. Like, again, I know sometimes we do look on the negative side of things and, um, you know, oh, the state of the media now and social media. But, yeah, I think it's exciting. You can, it's an outlet to be creative and, um, yeah, you haven't got an editor or a producer telling you what to do. You can really create whatever you want. You're not stuck uh, doing the the missing ads or the lost property stuff. <laughs> Right. And I think that's also a big reason why I work for myself is because, yeah, it looks like a lot of people, I'm at times disillusioned by um, stuff that is in the mainstream media, particularly with sport. Um, and, you know, as much as I contribute to some of those outlets, they also ask me to do certain stories and I say no, because it's not stuff that I want to cover. I don't align with it. I don't believe in it. So, um I think that's probably the most powerful thing about working for myself is I pick and choose what I want to do. And sometimes I feel for people that work full-time for media outlets because they don't have any choice and they're the one that cops, you know, the stories that are published under their name, but it mightn't have been their choice to do it. So, um, yeah, apart from being like a bit of a control freak, I'm very glad to work for myself because, um, yeah, I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> That's very fair. But, but you did at one point, right? You had to do that to get to where you are now. So it is part of the journey of journalism. Is that, would you say that? Like, I mean, obviously yeah. social media is uh, assisting in not having to do it probably as long or uh, anything, but would, would you say that's where they have to probably start and then, you know, create their own profile and who they are? Yeah, 100%. And um, I think, you know, initiatives always been something that was, you know, that is looked upon well. Like when I was applying for cadetships, I had a body of work that had been published in the newspaper. But I remember even the cover sheet to my resume, I'd like made sort of a collage of newspaper articles and then put my name over the top of it. Just something a little bit eye-catching, you know, because how was yeah. I going to see all these other kids? Yeah. Um, yeah, so and I think you do, everyone's got to do the hard yards. And like, I've got a great working life now where I can go as hard or as, you know, pull back as much as I want. Um, I've got flexibility to do a variety of things from broadcast to, you know, riding at home in my trackies with, you know, a three day old dirty bun and no bra on to then, you know, going and hosting an event. So I feel like I've got the best of both worlds. But yeah, it's been 18 years in the making. It's not like I just decided this yeah. was what I was 
do and I was going to work for myself and you know now I do tv and I host events it's you know taken 18 years of hard yakka to get to the point where I can be my own boss yeah definitely I think there's that uh, body of work's paying off now for you which is really cool to see um (laughs) so lastly our, our sponsor for today is care australia um you were heavily involved with them would you be able to share a bit of, of what they do and what you're doing with them as well. And I know they just launched their Christmas campaign. So just for our listeners to, to know a bit more. Yeah, so Care Australia do an incredible body of work for women and um, women in poverty around the world. And I um, I met them. Um, I was actually invited to their Christmas event maybe five years ago. Um, so it was like a PR event. It was a beautiful brunch and um, there were guest speakers and it was just a, it was a lovely event and you know it was um, an honor to be able to go along to this lovely breakfast but um, what they were doing and with their care gifts Christmas campaign where um, you can buy um, a gift but what it is is I'm giving this gift to you Jackie and it's going to buy a chicken for a family um, in a poverty-stricken community and then that chicken they can use for eggs to feed themselves but they can also sell those eggs in their community to make money or it's you know um, a gift of clean water or books for a student or um, to fund medical supplies for a nurse or a doctor there's all sorts of things so um, yeah that's how I struck up my relationship with them and I've been supporting their care gifts campaign for the last five years now Um, you can check it out on my Instagram at Megan Hustway or um, of course with the website link that'll be here so it's a it's a great way to give um, you know a gift that matters um, and um, that will have you know a long-lasting effect beyond this Christmas um, for for women and families in in poverty-stricken areas that you know need these things that we really just take for granted in our everyday life yeah that's amazing that's a, that's really cool. Um, it's a, nice to hear that you've got that long relationship with them and, and back on board with that for this year. That's really cool. We will definitely be including the uh, the link in the bio uh, underneath for anyone that is interested to jump on and, and buy some gifts. Kathy's all for having gifts and we'll send you her address as well if we need to. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, you can buy them um, online I think um the cutoff might be for the hard like the the hard copy ones but you can you can still buy them online I did laugh having a look through the catalogue recently and you could buy someone a goat and I was like oh you can buy someone LJ like you can buy community and LJ <laughs> um anyway our can you bike. name them yeah. oh. <laughs> it'd be cool if you could name them just give out heaps of LJs 21 year old goat for Christmas <laughs> yeah I'd buy it. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for giving us your time to talk with me. We know you've got a super busy schedule, so we really appreciate it. It has been really cool to discuss your career, um, the ins and outs of it, learn a whole lot more about that as well, and then finding Mm. that advice to to pass on to future journalists too. So we can't wait to see you on your next WNBL game and good luck for your event tomorrow night as well. Thank you, ladies. Um, Thanks so much for having me. It was a real... Um, thrill and congrats on the podcast it's awesome and I can't wait to keep listening to all the episodes that are dropping thank Thank you you. it's great to meet you nice to meet you too and let's all put our buns in buns on three
<laughs> it's better Thankfully, than what she normally does. She normally what? makes us go, she normally says refs on three, so no one contributes to that. So we at least she got us in with the buns. But yeah. Got to adapt and evolve with the current. <laughs> <laughs> to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in for this episode of She Talk Sports. We'll catch you all on our next episode. 